God's the God of second chance. That all of us, like Mark, have fallen short of God's glory. All of us, like Mark, have stumbled in our faith, and yet God is always the one who completes his work in us. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. We continue to read through the Gospels through the summer months. We just concluded reading in the mornings through Matthew, and now we're moving on to the book of Mark. So today, grab a Bible, find Mark's Gospel, and let's dig in. We're going to be looking into Mark's Gospel, which was the very first Gospel of the four that was written. Even though it's listed second in the New Testament, it was the first of the four that was written. Mark and his Gospel is a reminder to us that God is the God of a second chance. We know that in Mark's testimony, as he went on that first missionary trip with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, we know that as they were making their way through that trip and as God was moving about halfway through, John Mark quit on the trip and returned home. That caused a whole lot of challenges in his life, his testimony, his relationships with the Apostle Paul and with Barnabas. And we know that in that moment, it looked like certain failure. As we look at Mark's life, who God would choose to use to write the very first gospel, we find that God is the God of a second chance. That all of us, like Mark, have fallen short of God's glory. All of us, like Mark, have stumbled in our faith, and yet God is always the one who completes his work in us. We find that Mark would mature in the Lord. We find later in his testimony that God continued to transform his life, and then the Lord called him to write this very first gospel. I don't know about you, but I know that when I hear stories like that of God's work and God's grace, I know there are a lot of things I can learn as God uses this vessel named John Mark. And so while we remember Mark for uh, his second chance in faith and God continuing to work through his life, John's gospel actually focuses on making sure we get it right the first time. Matter of fact, when you look at his gospel, all throughout the whole gospel, in every single chapter, you'll find Mark, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, emphasizing immediate obedience. He learned that lesson early in his faith and his journey, and he learned from his mistake of tripping up and and yes, receiving God's grace for a second chance. But from then on, God placed in his heart a desire to walk by immediate obedience. And it sticks out to him throughout all of his gospel. 26 additional times beyond chapter 1, chapter 2, um, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, on and on. And 26 other times, we find him focusing in on immediate obedience. So let's start there this morning. Go to Mark chapter 1. Let's look at one of the first highlights of obedience. It's in the life of Jesus. Take a look. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. We know that God is always at work in our world and in our lives, and to really experience life as God has intended, we have to respond with complete obedience, immediate obedience. Matter of fact, it was Henry Blackaby that said, delayed obedience actually is disobedience. And so we find Jesus modeling this, verse 14, says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. As we begin to dig in early into what the Holy Spirit would reveal to Mark, we find Mark emphasizing 
the first obedience he ever saw displayed, and that was the Lord Jesus himself. Immediately after his baptism, Jesus didn't just get to ministry eventually, he was immediately obedient to the Father's call on his life. Jesus lived his life on mission, and he was focused on that one thing, pleasing his Father, and you'll see here, preaching the gospel. Well, all the rest of Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2 records what pleases the Father, a life of ministry, a life of surrender, a life of abiding, but as we abide in that relationship, it translates into a life of kingdom ministry. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to us. So we're going to see, as we go through the gospel, Mark, we're going to see what the ministry of reconciliation looks like, a life of ministry. We're going to see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the ministry of friends and how friends relate to one another. But now as we wake up in Mark chapter 2, flip over to Mark chapter 2, Verses 14 through 17, we see the ministry to sinners. While we should be ministering to one another and while there should be ministry within the body of Christ, we also know that God has created us and placed us on this earth to be a light in darkness, to have an impact in the lives of those who don't yet know the Lord. So let's see what that looks like. We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. It says, And Jesus went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. So we continue to look in at his life of obedience. Every day he woke up, it was about the kingdom. And it was about the Father's will. Is that true for you and for me when we wake up each and every day? Or are we too busy worrying about corporate America? Are we too busy trying to earn a dollar here and a dollar there? Are we too busy in the things of this physical world? Or do we wake up every day with a kingdom perspective? Jesus was going about his days, and wherever he went... It was an opportunity for the gospel. Here he is uh, walking by the seashore, and all the people were gathering around him, and he took advantage of those moments. So wherever you find yourself this day, tomorrow, this week, understand God is sending you out into the fields that are white unto harvest. Jesus had been kicked out of the synagogues. He was not welcome there. His message was not welcomed. He was considered a blasphemer and was not allowed any longer to teach in the synagogue. So His pulpit became the seashores and the marketplace. Wherever the common people were, we find Jesus because he had been rejected by his own people. Matter of fact, John would say he came to his own people, but his people received him not. Now his pulpit is going to be where the synagogue wasn't, where the Pharisees would never go, where religion never touched. It was in the real lives, everyday lives of people everywhere. Verse 14, take a look at it. It says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And look at what happened next. Immediately, there's that immediate obedience again. We find Levi, who you know as Matthew, who would write one of the other gospels. uh, But he was known both as Matthew and Levi. He got up and he followed Jesus. His first response was immediate obedience. He didn't say, uh, let me think about it. Uh, Let me get back to you on that one. Jesus, no, I'm interested, but I need a little bit more time. That's not how he responded. He responded with an immediate understanding and surrender. And that should be true in our lives each and every day as well. Uh, Yes, there are times we have to pray and seek the Lord and, and hear from heaven. And yet there are times when God clearly speaks, and it's not up for debate, 
It's not up to ponder. We simply should obey immediately in that moment. Levi had a decision to make. Stay where I am, stay as I am, or trust Jesus with my life. He made a radical decision on that day that changed his life forever in the course of human history. And that same decision is there for you and for me each and every day. I wonder, have you ever made that decision? Have you ever come to grips with who Jesus is and his call on your life? Has there ever been a moment where Jesus spoke into your heart the emptiness of a life separated from a holy God and spoke his love, his forgiveness and grace and called you to salvation? If that day has happened, you know that day because you know that's when you uh, repented of your sin and you asked God to forgive you and you received him into your heart. It's not enough just to know Jesus in our head. The Bible says we must believe in our heart to be saved. So we look in on this. We need to remember where Levi was before he came to Christ. That pivotal moment, that fork in the road where he had to decide, am I going to stay like I am and where I am, or am I going to take this new path, the path of righteousness? As we look in on Levi's life, we find that he was a very successful man, but he was a hurting man. He had a lucrative job, and yet he was bankrupt spiritually. He had everything the world could throw at you, and yet he didn't know the one who created the world. And in these moments of his life, probably at the peak of his career, he realizes that all that had led to a dead end for him, and that there had to be more to life than what he was experiencing. Levi was uh, a tax collector. Jesus finds him here working his booth where he would collect all the the customs and all those uh, duties and taxes that were placed on goods that were processing through his community. And in those moments, as you well know, tax collectors were the mafia of that day. They had extra surcharges placed on their taxes they collected. And anything they could get from the people as they were collecting those taxes became their salary, their wages. Matthew apparently was one of the best of the best. He was probably known as the ringleader of all tax collectors there in Capernaum. He had a great following, as we'll see later. He was known throughout the entire community. He was extremely wealthy and had the job of all jobs if it was about money. Now, his job was also one of the most hated careers by the Jews. Uh, We'll get into that in a moment. But as we look at what his reality was, he had great power and influence. Capernaum was much like Oklahoma City. It happened to be one of the major trade routes for Israel. Just like Oklahoma City that runs north to south with I-35 and east to west with I-40, we find ourselves at the crossroads of commerce and transportation and goods that are going from state to state throughout all of our nation. Well, Capernaum was much like that. Matter of fact, if you look at this map that you'll see here on the screen, Uh, You'll see Capernaum way to the north, uh, just north of what we know as Samaria. Down to the south is Judea, where you'd find Jerusalem. And Jesus has had to move his ministry all the way up to the north into Galilee because he's been rejected by the Pharisees in Jerusalem. Capernaum is right there on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And we find that because of its strategic location and And all the goods that would be shipped in there. And then others that would travel from the east and from the north would all land right here at Capernaum and be dispersed throughout the Middle East. It was the most prosperous place to collect taxes and duties. And Matthew was the kingpin. He, like the IRS though, was uh, considered 
uh, with less than um, fond emotion. He was not a popular man. A matter of fact, in their day and age, the tax collectors of that time were considered traitors. They were sellouts. They, they were the ones that profited off the blood money of sucking it out from all the Jews that were now under the oppressive government of Rome. Guys like Matthew, who should have been loyal, instead sold out to the government and used it to their advantage to become filthy rich off the backs of their brothers and their sisters. They were considered to be less than Israel. They were no longer received and, and considered a brother, and so he sold out so that he could live out his dreams. Well, as we look in on this story, while he was very connected and while he was the kingpin of commerce, he was the Mr. Pike Pass, if you will, as everybody came through Matthew's booth, he didn't have what he was looking for. Maybe you can relate to Matthew or, or Mark's testimony, Matthew's testimony as Mark's recording it. Maybe like Matthew, you've been living a fast-paced life and you've been living for a career or, or, or growing an influence and it's left you empty. Well, we find here that he had made a nice living, but he didn't have a life. And now as he comes into interaction with Jesus, he sees life. He sees the way the truth, and the life. And he saw in that moment that Jesus had what he needed, and it changed everything for him. So we're looking on this story, we see Jesus reaching out to Matthew right where he was. Notice in this story that Jesus didn't meet him at church, in the synagogue. He didn't meet him at some religious activity. He didn't pull him out of seminary. He met him right where he was, right there in his tax booth. You know, many people think that they have to clean up their act before Jesus will accept them. I remember when I was growing up outside of the church, outside of the Lord, and, and, and watching people go to church, meeting Cammie and seeing that she was a church goer and she knew the Lord. And, and I remember watching people like Cammie and others and thinking, you know, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have the forgiveness of God, but but I've got to get my life straightened out first. I've got to deal with this issue. I've got to quit doing this and and i got to start doing stuff like going to church and get my life together. And So we look in here, we find that Mark's gospel reveals that God reaches out to us right where we are. That he does the cleaning up, we don't do it. We surrender to him and he cleans us up. I had it backwards. And in that moment, God reached out to Matthew and Matthew had to respond. It says, look at verse 14 again, look at his response. It says that he got up and he left the booth. He left everything behind. Immediately, not later, not months later, not when he started to have a family and settle down. In that moment when Jesus was speaking to him, he got up, responded, and God changed his life. It could be this very moment as you're watching this message, you need to get up from where you are and maybe get down on your knees and respond to God and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And God, I'm empty. And Lord, I call on you to save me. And maybe you're watching, and maybe that's already happened in your life. Maybe you've already called on the Lord. But where are you now? Have you left the booth? Have you sold out like Matthew? Let's take a look at the rest of his story. Because you see, not only did he get up and out of the booth, 
He changed his direction. The Bible says he began at that moment to follow Jesus. So we look at Matthew's testimony. We find Matthew giving up more than any of the other disciples. Guys like Peter, James, and John, yes, they left family businesses, the fishing business, but they could have gone back to that. Matter of fact, they do at the end after Jesus has been crucified. But Matthew gave up everything. And a matter of fact, Matthew left one of the most lucrative jobs that was ever available to anybody in that day. And he gave it all up because he saw more in Jesus. But I want you to notice this. Let's go to verse 15. As soon as Matthew became a believer, he wanted everybody in the circle of his influence to know that same Jesus. Notice his first response was to get up and leave his previous life. But his second response immediately not years later, not after he'd been through discipleship, not after he'd gone off to Bible college, but immediately he went after his friends. I want you to take a look at verse 15. It says that it happened that as Jesus was reclining at his table, he's in Matthew's house, Matthew's invited Jesus home with him, and there were many tax collectors and sinners who were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. I love verse 15, and I love the picture it shows of what a life looks like that follows Jesus. We find Matthew, who had a passion now for the king and for his kingdom. His first response was to the king. His second response, to the kingdom. The same should be true in our lives as well. Every day we wake up, our first response should be to the king abiding in that relationship. That's why we're spending every morning in the book of Mark now and reading a chapter a day. We did that last month with Matthew. We'll move on through Luke and John as well. And every day we wake up, we should be abiding with the king. But out of that abiding relationship comes a faith that's alive. For faith without works is dead. But when we're alive in our faith, we see it just like we see the living faith of Matthew in verse 15. It translates into life of ministry. We look in on verse 15, we see a a collection of societal misfits and rejects. We see all the tax collectors of the city, all the sinners, all the despised social outcasts are there in his home at his invitation. And they responded because they knew Matthew. And they responded because Matthew had relationships with them. And Matthew was going to leverage those relationships for the glory of God. As we look in on verse 15... We're going to see church. We're going to see Jesus there at the center. And we're going to see Jesus there with sinners. That's church. That's the church. That's, that's, that's Jesus fulfilling that ministry of calling us to holy forgiveness. But that doesn't look like most churches today. It certainly doesn't look like the average church today. Does it sound like a typical day in the life of an average Christian even? That shouldn't be any different in Matthew's life than your life or my life. That every day we should be looking for ways of introducing people to Jesus. And that's all Matthew was trying to do. He invited everybody he knew to come to his house so he could introduce them to this Jesus. This Jesus that changed his story. This Jesus that changed the trajectory of his life. And he wanted them to have that same love and that same peace. The New Testament church today is different than the New Testament church that we read about here in the Gospels or the book of Acts. In this day, we find that they were coming to Jesus and following Jesus and hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus was right there with the sinners 
and the tax collectors. But the church today seems to be more like the religion of Jerusalem. We have distanced ourselves from the lost by hanging out with the saved. We have made it safe and sterilized or sanitized ourselves from the corruption of this world. Matthew didn't do that. Matthew continued to use the relationships that he had to use that as his ministry to introduce people to Jesus. You see, the New Testament church did both. They gathered together with the saints daily, but they also did their life with the marketplace and with their neighbors, and they had relationships with all people. And as they went about their day, people were able to look into their lives, look into their homes, their marriages, their families, their gatherings, and they saw that they had something they didn't have. And the Bible says that daily people were being added to the church. Daily, every single day. How many days go by in our lives, in our church, in the church in America, and people aren't added, and people don't come to know Jesus? Is it because we've gathered just with the saints and not gathered up the lost to introduce them to Jesus? Look at verse 16. So we looked at verse 16 as I was preparing this message. I came under great conviction. And I wrote in my notes, I said, God forgive us for our kumbaya Christianity. For gathering up around the campfire and roasting our marshmallows together and singing the hymns of our faith. And watching a world die and go to hell. Matthew, Matthew didn't go there. Look at verse 16. It says, for when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to the disciples, why is he eating and drinking with these tax collectors and sinners? You see, we see that same spirit sometimes in the church today. We see ourselves so sanitized in relationships that we have separated from the world when we should be taking Jesus to our world. You know, the Bible didn't say while we are called to be set apart, he didn't call us to be set out from the world. He says we are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And the problem is today the church is not in the world like we see here in Scripture. And Jesus was modeling that, and so was Matthew, and religion hated it. Why would Jesus hang out with sinners? When they saw this, the Bible says they were offended. You know, that's what religion does. Religion becomes me-centered, not God-centered. Religion rejects and separates from ministry and makes it something it was never meant to do. You know, the Bible says Satan appears as an angel of light. I believe that's that spirit of religion. And I believe hell will be filled more with religion than it will be with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That there will be those who said, I, I did all these things in your name, Lord, and we did this and we did that, and, and we, we tried to keep the commandments, and we ministered, in, and Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are people who are sold out to religion. They may not have been sold out to the unrighteous things, but religion in the answer either. It's found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Matthew found in that moment. Well, it was obvious as we look into this story that Jesus had a heart for this crowd and for these people. He was there doing life with them, and, and, and the Pharisees were blown away. He said, that makes you unclean. Why would he do this? Notice that Jesus wasn't lecturing them. 
He wasn't just preaching to him, although he was teaching. He was teaching with the life he lived. And we saw when they were by the seashore, Jesus was teaching in those moments. But Jesus also did life with the people. With those that the Pharisees and the religious people of Israel wanted nothing to do with. Jesus was right there with them. And as he was sitting among them and as he was fellowshipping with them, it's important to note that when you minister to the lost, it doesn't mean that you have to act like the lost to reach the lost. Jesus doesn't become exactly like the crowd. He just was with the crowd. I think that's a very important uh, note to take. I've seen both pendulum swings. I've seen the pendulum swing like the Pharisees that said, oh man, if you hang out with the lost, they'll suck you in and, and, and you just got to be removed from them. And then I've seen others who say, no, I want to reach the lost, so I'm going to become all things to all people. And they act just like the lost and they do the same things that they're doing at parties and this and that, thinking that that's how they're going to reach them and it's a compromise. And both camps are wrong. But Jesus models for us that we can have a holy testimony even among those who are yet to be holy. That we can still love God, serve God, and still have a relationship with somebody who doesn't know God. That we can minister to them as we do life, as we build relationships. And yeah, it's a little bit different. It's not the most intimate relationship, but it's still relating to them. The scribes were simply appalled by all of this. And they called their, the disciples aside and says, why does he do things like this? Doesn't he know who these people are? Doesn't he understand he's lowering, lowering himself to that moral ground, immoral ground that these people are on? Why would he want to hang out with the company of such people? Well, Jesus will answer that question. Look at verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but actually those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I look at this, and Jesus, clearly desiring to be obedient to the Father's will, is right where he needed to be. He was where the Jews were not. He was where the Pharisees would not go. But he was right in the center of God's will. So I want to ask you something. Are we in the center of God's will? Are you walking obediently to God's plan for your life? If so, he's going to take you across a tax collector's booth. He's going to take you to a tax collector's home. He may have somebody a cubicle over that's been planted right there because that's your ministry. He might be taking you back to school for those that get to go back to school, or he might be putting you in a neighborhood. Uh, and where you live and where you live out your life, that's your Capernaum. That's your opportunity. So I wonder, when's the last time there was a Matthew in your life? When's the last time that you intentionally built a relationship and spent time with somebody who didn't know Jesus? If you have to think about it, it's been way too long. Every day Jesus woke up, you're going to see lost people. You're going to see lost people coming across his path and Jesus meeting those people and their needs. If Jesus did it, we should do it. And Matthew understood that very early on, before he ever had one Sunday school lesson, one discipleship class, and certainly hadn't yet been called to be a disciple of Jesus. He got it right from the very beginning. Love the king and serve in his kingdom. Well, Jesus' answer was very revealing. 
as he responded back to the hearts of the Pharisees, he said, you know, I agree. In effect, you're right. These are sick and hurting people. These are troubled men. They are in such, such discouragement and such depression and such devastation. They need a physician. I came for the sick because I am the great physician. And I came to meet them and to bring them the medicine they need. He wasn't arguing with them about the reality of their sickness. The sad thing was the Pharisees didn't see their own sickness. They didn't see their need. But Matthew did. And the people that gathered at his house did. But it always amazes me how people, we'll say in the church, much like the Pharisees, respond to sinners. We get all blown away when a sinner acts like a sinner. Oh my goodness, Jesus is hanging out with these people. Look at how they eat. Look at what they're drinking. Look at what they do. Jesus wasn't intimidated by the actions of sinners. He understood they were a sinner. By definition, they're going to sell out to sin. But they were the sick ones that needed the doctor, that needed the great physician. You know, I went to the hospitals this week and Here's a picture. This isn't from the hospital, but I found a a picture very similar to what I saw as I walked the hospitals or other times I've been to the hospitals. And as I went through the hospital, I saw people who were suffering. I saw people who were sick. I saw people, I'm sure, who were fighting off cancer or heart disease, broken bones, unknown ailments. Maybe perhaps some were there because they might even have contracted COVID, God forbid. But as I was going through the hospital, I saw something that I couldn't believe. As I was walking through the hospital, I saw a scene just like this. There were nurses everywhere. I'm like, what are they doing here? I come around a corner. As I come around the corner, I literally almost ran over a doctor who was rushing, apparently, to an important knee. I'm like, shouldn't he be on the golf course? What's he doing here? Now, I say that, obviously, that's crazy. We know why the nurses and doctors are there. They're supposed to be there. That's where they should be. That's their calling. And Jesus was trying to say the same thing to the Pharisees. Do you not understand? I've come for the sick. Those that need a doctor, that's where the doctor should be. And that's where Jesus was. And as Jesus comes to live in our hearts and our lives, just like Matthew's, we should see what we see God doing in Matthew's life We should see the same thing happen in our lives. So as we look at Matthew's influence and testimony, let's take a couple notes. Number one, look at Matthew. He left his old life immediately and he followed Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Has there been a time where you've left your old life and received a new life? If you have, has that translated the next thing that happened in Matthew's life was he immediately had a burden for his lost friends and family. Do you carry that same burden? If not, maybe, maybe as we come to a time of invitation in just a moment, maybe that's your time to fall on your face before God and say, God, forgive me for receiving grace but not sharing that grace with others. God, forgive me for just huddling up with the saints and not the Matthews of the world. Matthew, though, not only had a burden for his lost friends, he did something about that burden. He did whatever it took to get his friends to Jesus are you and I willing to do the same do we have that same passion do we have that same calling on our life are we responding in that same way
what are we doing for sinners? I look in on Jesus, uh, on his obedience. We see in Jesus, Jesus reaching out to sinners, not just expecting them to come to him. After all, he's the savior of the world. They should be coming to him. Jesus went to them. I look in on Jesus. I see he spent time and had relationships with lost people. Do we? I look at Jesus. I see he ministered and he cared for them in that moment. He didn't act like them and he didn't do what they did, but he did have relationships with them. He cared about those who were sick. But there are three kinds of patients that even Jesus, the great physician, cannot heal. You say, how's that possible? He's God and God can do all things. That is true. And yet there are three patients who Jesus cannot heal. Number one, those who don't know about him. Because you and I have never taken the gospel to them. How will they hear, Romans says, unless there's a preacher? Unless there's someone to give them the word. For faith comes from hearing and hearing the word. If they never get to hear the word, how do they know they need a savior? A second patient is those who do know about Jesus but refuse to trust him. Like the scribes and the Pharisees we read about here in Mark chapter 2. Those who had a religion and thought they were safe with God because they were religious people. Thought they were righteous because of their works. But they didn't know the great position. And then third, the other patient that Jesus cannot heal is the one who will not admit they have a need. I don't need Jesus. I'm fine just like I am. And in all three of those cases, while it breaks the heart of God, those three patients will die in their sickness, sin. And when we die in our sin, we'll be separated from a holy God forever. Not because he doesn't love us, but because we didn't love him. I pray that's not you today. If it is, if you've been rejecting the Lord, if you've been stiff-arming God, if if you've said, I'm fine just like I am, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would change your heart just like he did Matthew. I want to close with this video. It's a great clip from a great movie called Sea Biscuit. In this particular clip, you're going to see this old cowboy named Tom Smith. He was an old farrier, worked with horses all of his life, was a put-out-to-pasture trainer, kind of come the end of his career and kind of finishing off his days. As he was strolling through town in the movie, there's a horse that's about to be shot and put down because it was lame. He decided that he was going to save that horse's life. He went up to the owner and he said, before you shoot that horse, I'll buy that horse from you. The owner said, you're crazy. Why would you pay for a lame horse? He's of no value. And he said, trust me. Trust me, I want that horse. And he said, listen, if nothing else, it'll at least save you a bullet. The owner went ahead and gave him that horse. And, and so now in this clip, you're going to find later on in the evening, uh, there is a very rich man, Charles Howard, a very wealthy American businessman who is looking for a trainer for this special horse he had named Sea Biscuit. I want you to take a listen to what this wise old cowboy had to say. Let's watch this together. Maybe you want a smaller barn. Somebody can take the time. To... Who's that? Huh? Oh, he's a crackpot. Lives along the bushes. What's he do? 
I don't know. He used to be a trainer, farrier. Now he just looks after that horse. Come on, let's look at another barn. Howdy. Hello. You hungry? No, no, thanks. I'm fine. Charles Howard. Tom Smith. Nice to meet you, Tom. What's, uh, what's in his bandage? Oh, that's, uh, Hawthorne Root. It increases circulation. You want to sit down? Oh, all right. Thank you. <coughs> Will he get better? Already is, little. Will he race? <laughs> no, not that one. So why are you fixing him? Because I can. Every horse is good for something. Dude, he could be a cart horse or a lead pony. He's still nice to look at. You know, you don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little. That old cowboy had a lot of wisdom, and he told the truth. Seems like this day and age, it's so easy to just give up on people and give up on things. Just discard it because it's of no value. I think that old cowboy probably related to that horse. I think he'd come to a point in his life where he felt like he'd been thrown out and thrown away, that he was no longer of any value. And, and we can find that same attitude in our own lives as well, that we're of no value to God, no value to anyone else, that we're worthless, and yet that cowboy had a heart for that horse. Jesus was the same. He spent his whole life putting people back together. And he wants to do that in your life as well. Jesus took the rejected of this world, the wretched of this world. He loved them right where they were, and he transformed their lives. If you watch the rest of that movie, you'll see that Cowboy did the same thing for that horse and the same thing for Seabiscuit. He had an ability to realize that every horse, just like Jesus believes that every person has value, has worth. Jesus took the orphans, he made them sons and daughters. He took the powerless and he made them a priestly kingdom, all because he could. He knew that everyone, no matter how banged up by life they were, was good for something. 
the love of God and the call of God. And just like that cowboy said, you know, you don't just throw a whole life away just because you're banged up a little. The same is true about your life. While the enemy would love to convince you that you're too banged up in your sin, that you're too, too messed up and too messy and, and too ugly for God, once you know, God's willing that none should perish, but all come to everlasting life. I know there was that moment in my life, I wasn't in a tax booth, but I was in my sin, and I was in an empty place, a dark place. I was only a junior in high school, yet Jesus approached me. I saw his love, I saw through scripture, through other believers, that there was another way, that he was the truth, that he could give me life. I gave my life to Jesus. I've never been the same. Does that happen for you? Would you pray with me right where you are? Even if you already know the Lord, let's pray together. But first, I want to speak to that person like Matthew. You've lived life. You've pursued life with everything you have. You may have made a great living, but like Matthew, you have an empty life. It could be that today is the day of your salvation. Today is your decision. Like Matthew's, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to stay empty and in that booth? If you, like Matthew, are ready for God's love and to surrender all, pray with me right where you are right now. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. And God, I turn from my old life and give you all of my life. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and Savior this day. God, I receive you as the free gift of eternal life. The Bible says that, that eternal life is a free gift. And a gift by nature is something that has to be received. If you don't receive the gift, it's not yours. But when you do, the Bible says then you become a child of God. If that happened for you just now, reach out to our online pastor. Say, I just received the gift of God's love. I just trusted Jesus to be my Savior. Something like that. Just type it in there. Let our online pastor know. We'll reach out back to you, and we'll get you some materials, and we'll help you connect with a new life that you have in Christ. Or you can email me at ministry at pcbc.tv. I'll get back to you this week as well. and would love to know what God's doing in your life. And yet I know there are many who are tuning in today and worshiping online with us, and you've already trusted Jesus but are you taking the next step like Matthew did? Are we not just loving the king, but also serving in his kingdom? Are we introducing people to Jesus? Or have we separated from our calling? If it's way too long since you've introduced somebody like Matthew to the Lord or helped them find Jesus today, you pray with me. I want to pray for you and for me, for our whole church and for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each and every one of us now that know you as Lord and Savior. That, Lord, we wouldn't rest in your grace, but we would, we would grow in that grace and we would release that grace as we serve you in this world. And God, each and every one of us have Matthews in our life, those who don't know you yet. And, Lord, I pray that even now, in this very moment, that you would begin to place the names the faces of those Matthews on my heart, on those who are watching today. 
And Lord, whoever that is, Lord, I pray we'd be as faithful as Matthew to trust you and to invest in those relationships and not just pray for them, but that we would bring those friends and family members into the knowledge of who you are. Lord, may you do something special this very week in each and every one of our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I hope the rest of this week, each and every day, you'll wake up, spend time with your king. Spend time getting to know him better as you read through the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter. And let's go on that journey through this month. And let's see what we can learn about immediately obeying Jesus. God loves you, and so do we. We'll see you next week. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.